Hey, Bard listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy. It only takes 30 seconds and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to BKLYNlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support. Brooklyn in the 1940s was a busy place. We still had the Dodgers in Ebbets Field and businesses were thriving. We had department stores, breweries, and big factories like Domino Sugar in Williamsburg and Faber Pencils in Greenpoint. And at the end of 1941, the United States entered World War II, which was a moment that changed the entire country, but especially Brooklyn. Our Navy Yard, which sits along the East River right near modern-day Dumbo, became the busiest shipyard in the world, with 70,000 workers repairing over 5,000 ships and also manufacturing battleships and aircraft carriers and supplies for the war effort. Here at the library, our central location at Grand Army Plaza had just been built, a project that took 29 years because of many delays. But even with the new and impressive central library, our staff were busy thinking about ways that they could extend library services beyond the physical walls of our buildings. In fact, as early as the 1920s, BPL had already begun to run services in hospitals, fire stations, prisons, factories, and even steamships docked in Brooklyn. But one woman had an idea to take her library services to an even wider audience by broadcasting programming on the radio. With the dawn of the radio age in the 1920s, it had become one of the most popular and easily accessible forms of entertainment. By 1940, 80% of the nation's households had radios, and 2 million of those households were right here in New York City. You could switch on the radio at any time of the day and hear newscasts, but also radio dramas, sport broadcasts, and musical shows. Here's a taste of radio in the mid to late 1940s. The Adventures of Maisie was a movie series turned radio drama about a moxie-filled Brooklyn secretary played by the actress Anne Southern. It was produced by CBS and could have been heard on the airwaves in Brooklyn. And now here's Anne Southern as Maisie. Yep, I'm Maisie, like the fella said, Maisie Revere. In show business, jobs are very seldom. So to keep my stomach from seceding from the rest of me, I became what you call a jack-of-all-trades. I'd go into any trade that had any jack in it. Legitimate only, of course. The jobs I've taken to keep the wolf from the door, believe me, I could write a book. I'll never forget the time I was working as a census taker. 
Yeah, you heard that right. Uh, what Maisie is talking about there as a fictional character is the 1940 census, which would have just happened. And, you know, it happens every 10 years, so it's 2020 and the census is back. We are actually going to put a link to that episode of The Adventures of Maisie on our website so that you can hear what happens to Maisie. That episode is called The Census and the Crooks. Back in the 1940s, you could tune into a ton of different programs on your home radio. And one of the most popular stations was one that's still around today, WNYC. In 1943, Brooklyn Public Library got in on the radio action and launched its first radio program called Folk Songs for the Seven Million in partnership with WNYC. The audio you're about to hear comes courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. Folk Songs for the Seven Million People of New York City. This is one of a series of programs designed to show you the relationship between the traditions of a city like New York and those of other areas and people in the United States generally considered to be more typically American. These broadcasts are directed by Miss Elaine Lambert Lewis, specialist in folklore and member of the staff of the Brooklyn Public Library. And here is Miss Lewis now. Thank you, Mr. Ward. Good evening. You know, one of the great common bonds in United States history and one of the great influences on United States folklore is the railroad. I'm so excited to say that today we are paying tribute to our audio ancestor. She was a folklorist and a broadcaster for Brooklyn Public Library, Elaine Lambert Lewis. I'm Krista Corbett Kavoris. And I'm Adwa Aduse. You're listening to Borrowed, stories that start at the library. Elaine Lambert Lewis was born in Brooklyn in 1914. She grew up in Park Slope and studied folklore in college and graduate school. She worked at BPL for six years in the 1940s, and during that time, according to an article in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, she collected data on 5,000 folk songs and recorded 300 of them. We were pretty excited when we first came across Lewis, and it was an archivist who brought her to our attention. She hasn't had a lot of notice uh, up till now, I think in part because she was a woman uh, at a time when uh, the medium was very much dominated by men. This is Andy Lancet, the director of the New York Public Radio Archives. She did all the recording herself, as far as I can tell, on all on her own equipment. So unfortunately, a lot of the shows uh, didn't survive. Because the show wasn't produced by WNYC, but rather by a member of Brooklyn Public Library's staff, Elaine Lambert Lewis would have been creating the program any way she could. She probably used a home recording kit that would have been very different from the digital recorders and microphones that Adjua and I are using today. As Lewis read her scripts and recorded her guests and musicians, a phonograph would have been registering the vibrations of the sounds in two grooves on a vinyl disc. Let's listen to a bit more of the episode we have from NYC Municipal Archives. This episode was made by Elaine Lambert Lewis in 1944. In a song like the Midnight Special, the train stands for the convict's only connection with the outside world, 
and their singing is a form of wishful thinking. But the railroad is not only a creature of night and longing. It has its vigorous workaday aspect. At daybreak, it rushes into the open country. Farmhouses are glimpsed out of the mist. The engineer and his fire. Many of the weekly episodes of Folk Songs for the Seven Million followed similar formats. Lewis played long sections of recorded folk songs and then described the stories around the song's creation and the cultures that gave rise to it. Her later scripts were even more heavily edited with actors reading different parts in short radio plays to describe the context of each folk song. On her show, Elaine Lambert Lewis made a point to collect stories and songs from everyday Brooklynites. She wrote into the Brooklyn Daily Eagle's old-timer section to ask readers to send their memories of different folk songs and, quote, customs of years ago, including children's games and rhymes that used to be played on Brooklyn streets and such. There's this one funny exchange between Lewis and anonymous contributors to the Eagles' old-timers column in 1944. Lewis is clearly frustrated that one particular writer won't give her his address so that she can ask her follow-up questions that she's got about tunes to songs like The Bowery Grenadiers and more details on Touch the Elbows. We couldn't figure out if she ever got those questions answered, but over the years, Elaine Lambert Lewis had many Brooklynites contact her about songs or traditions that they remembered or had passed around by word of mouth. Folk traditions, in other words. And those folk songs and stories would then appear on her radio program. According to Andy Lancet, Folk Songs for the Seven Million was a pretty unique radio program for its time. A lot of WMYC's air, uh, certainly from 43 well through 45, was taken up with the, the war effort and the home front efforts, victory gardens and rationing and all that sort of thing. So this was uh, one of the few shows that wasn't uh, in that venue. It kind of gave the, the listeners a, a more of a cultural outlook on uh, things uh, having to do with folklore and folk music in New York City at the time. And it was a good time to be in the business of folk music. In the 1930s and 40s, there was a renewed interest in songs passed down orally from generation to generation. Uh, these songs often came from rural America. Musicians like Lead Belly, Woody Guthrie, and Pete Seeger all came in to New York City in the late 30s and early 40s, and Greenwich Village became a center for folk music recording and collaboration. Lewis even had many popular folk musicians on her show. Susan Reed, Tom Glazer, uh, Richard Dyer Bennett, but perhaps most notable uh, was Lead Belly, Hudy Ledbetter, who she was actually pretty close with. He had been on the station previously, but she really helped to promote him uh, in the time that she was there, certainly, and get the word out about his music and his work and performances. And the song we played a clip from earlier, Midnight Special, was performed by Lead Belly and the Golden Gate Quartet. You know, and though folk music is often associated with rural communities, technically anything that is created by a particular culture and passed along orally within that culture is considered folk music, or in the case of stories, folklore. Elaine Lambert Lewis was a pioneer in her field of urban folklore. We found a couple of articles crediting her as someone who legitimized the idea that cities have their own unique localized folk traditions, too. 
And that folk music can belong to city dwellers and was not the purview of country people and banjo melodies. But Elaine Lambert Lewis did eventually move out of her beloved Brooklyn because she met and married an Irishman named Jim O'Byrne. It's kind of cute, actually. They met at the library. She was reading a book that he was looking for. O'Byrne then became a collaborator. He worked with Lewis on writing some of the scripts and voicing many of them for her program. And he appeared regularly on folk songs for the 7 million In 1953, Lewis and O'Byrne moved to Ireland with their children, and she ended up writing a book about her time in Ireland under a different name. In that book called Himself and I, Lewis writes about being drawn to the idea of the country because, quote, something about Brooklyn, where I was born and bred, inclines one to world brotherhood. Old stock city folk who were never west of the Hudson or east of Jones Beach can get quite maudlin about the banks of the Wabash and the Isle of Capri. In my childhood, we wouldn't have known a plow if it bit us, and yet we sighed heavily for the good old days down on the farm. I think it's pretty clear by now that we are biased in favor of a Lewis biopic by now. I mean, can you imagine that library meet cute scene? But what I do think are as equally cinematic are her literary credits, in addition to being a pioneer woman of the airways. Lewis went on to publish a few other books about folklore, one about the influence of Middle Eastern stories on Western folklore, and another about the assumptions men make about women found throughout the history of literature which was an early feminist text, according to some. Lewis was a pioneering person in so many ways, and she left her mark on Brooklyn Public Library. She coordinated two other radio programs during her time there. One was called Poets Are People, which featured famous poets reading their own work, and another called Library Time, which was scripted conversations to promote various reading materials found at BPL. But perhaps her most significant contribution to Brooklyn and the library was the fact that she was so dedicated to involving the people of Brooklyn in her projects. She gave their stories value and importance. To Elaine Lambert Lewis, a half-remembered song or a story passed between kids playing in Brooklyn streets were just as worthwhile additions to the archives as letters between famous men or books created by big publishing companies. This idea that ordinary Brooklynites were contributing to the culture, it was her passion, and it was about creating and saving the stories of those people of Brooklyn, which is a tradition that we hope we are carrying on with Borrowed. Folk Songs for the Seven Million, presented by the Brooklyn Public Library, in cooperation with your own city station, is heard every Thursday at 545. You are urged to write in regarding any old-time songs, stories, customs, or sayings which you know or about which you'd like more information. Just drop a card to Miss Elaine Lambert Lewis, Brooklyn Public Library, Brooklyn, New York. And we wanted to mention one of the projects we've been working on over the past few weeks. We've launched an oral history project with Our Streets, Our Stories, the local oral history archive at Brooklyn Public Library. This new project is a call for Brooklynites to share stories about how they've been responding to and surviving the COVID pandemic. Krissa, our producer Virginia, and myself, along with an amazing team of VPL staff and volunteers from outside of the library, have been conducting oral history interviews with people from all over the borough. We're saving stories from doctors, families quarantining at home, essential workers, teachers, new mothers, and so much more. 
So in the spirit of Elaine Lambert Lewis, we want to hear your stories, Brooklyn. You can reach out to us to suggest yourself or a community member who would be perfect for an interview by emailing ososproject at bklynlibrary.org. We cannot wait to bring you some of those stories in our next episode. This is a big shout out to Virginia and the Brooklyn Collection team who've been coordinating this initiative. And it wouldn't be a borrowed episode without a bookmatch segment. Virginia spoke with Jess Hartwick, who put together a folklore book list. Thanks so much for joining us, Jess. Um, I hear you've put together a list of folklore books for us to read. Um, so I'd love if you could tell me about a few of your favorites. Okay, great. The first one, the one that like made me immediately want to do this list is, um, it's well, it's in the catalog as In the Night Garden. It's by Catherine Valenti. She actually worked with a musician in writing this book. Valenti would write a story and then this musician would write a song inspired by the story. And they kind of went back and forth and did that to put this collection together. Is there an accompanying song to go with this book? How does that work? There there are two albums. You can find them on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Um, the artist is S.J. Tucker. You don't need to listen in order to read the book, but you can listen kind of simultaneously or go back and forth. That's amazing. I think <laughs> Elaine Lambert Lewis would have loved this. <laughs> That's what I thought when I, you know, reading about her, I was like, oh, this is like, this is her project except, you know, written in the 21st century, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Cool. And, and what was another one you wanted to tell us about? So another one um, is the, the Archive of Alternate Endings by Lindsay Drager, um, which is a really strange very slim book. Um, it's only about 150 pages. And it follows the path of Halley's Comet as it passes by Earth. So it's broken up into vignettes um, that each that take place every year that the comet did or will pass by Earth. Each of these vignettes has a tie-in to Hansel and Gretel, um, starting with kind of the original folklore of Hansel and Gretel, the brother and sister that um, they believe inspired the story through the Grimm brothers first, um, collecting the folklore and putting them together, then Gutenberg printing them. It was one of the first stories that he printed um, through the AIDS crisis and then kind of moves into this futuristic um, imagination, continuing to follow the path of the of this story and of this book um, through these widely spaced vignettes. So it's a very strange book, um, but it's kind of a, a meta look at what folklore and fairy tales do and what how stories endure, um, who gets to tell them, and who needs to hear them. Um, great. And then I hear you've got one more that you wanted to tell us about. So for this last pick, I'm going to go go to China and talk a little bit about the ghost bride. So this is about a woman who, when she dreams at night, is drawn into the Chinese afterlife and kind of the story draws on Chinese mythology and Chinese folklore um, to bring together all of these really interesting traditions. Um, and someone not completely familiar with the culture, it, I thought it was really informative um, and really interesting to kind of explore a different culture um, and learn something about that. And then also the story is just like really, really beautiful and really captivating, a nice little escape yeah, there. Yeah, sounds, sounds definitely like something we need right now. Yes. Yeah. 
So um, thank you so much, Jess. And and listeners can find all of these books and more that um, Jess has selected for this episode on our website. And most of them are eBooks, right, Jess? They are all eBooks. I I made sure to include all of the eBook links, but if if you're if you prefer print books and have access to that, um, they all are also available in print. Um, but the list on our website is all ebooks. Awesome. So listeners can actually just check them out right from home. Thank you so much. This was great. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Those titles are a great way to celebrate Elaine Lambert Lewis's legacy. And I also wanted to mention that although we no longer have a folklore division at Brooklyn Public Library, we do have a pretty impressive ongoing local oral history archive that you can listen to at any time. Since 2014, staff at BPL have been collecting memories from everyday Brooklynites about how their neighborhoods have changed, saving the modern folk stories of Brooklyn. That archive is called Our Streets, Our Stories, and we'll put a link to it on our webpage. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Krissa Corbett-Kavoris and Adjua Aduse. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website, bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts. Borrowed is produced and written by Virginia Marshall with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, Meryl Friedman, and Robin Lester-Kenton. Our music composer is Billy Libby. Borrowed will be back in a few weeks. Until then, as they used to say on the good old-fashioned radio airwaves, stay tuned.